0: hello guys what the freaking heck is up okay so not only have i not had the ability to record for a week but i have not had the ability to record with no one in the apartment for a very long time um i don't know if i've ever said it on the podcast but my roommate madeline in march late march maybe early march sometime in march um she went skiing And a homegirl blew out everything in her knee. She tore her ACL, MCL, LCL, messed up her meniscus, broke her tibia. She did everything you possibly could. Um, So she's been here at the apartment for a while. Um, And I, yeah, I just haven't had any time alone to record the podcast. So I feel like I can scream now that nobody's home. I mean- not that anybody would care if I was screaming but I feel insecure about it um so it's nice having nobody here and I can just talk to the microphone without feeling insecure okay um but yeah so today we're doing part two of the Dorothea puente case um and I hate to break it to you but there's a part three. <laughs> it's just so long. It's just so long. Like, I'm not kidding you. If I would have done this all in one, um, one go, it would have been over 40 pages of talking. Personally, I cannot do that. Um, I have undiagnosed ADHD. I'm not self-diagnosing, but I am. Um, can't sit there. Can't sit there for that long. Today, I will be crocheting those shorts that I was talking about a couple episodes ago that my stepmom and I are making to be funny. Um, I went to, last week, the reason I didn't upload is because I went to Oklahoma to go visit my dad, my stepmom, and my sister. Um, and she showed me her shorts. Dude, she's so creative. Like, anything that I have creative-wise in my life is learned from my stepmom and my mom. Oh my god, I'm sorry. I didn't turn my sound on my computer. off. Um... She took an old scarf that she had and, like, manipulated it so that it came across both of the legs. I don't know, dude. She's, yeah, she's got that figured out. Um, But today, I'm going to be working on those shorts because I really want to get them done because they're funny. And I want to wear them both ironically and unironically um, around the house, obviously. But after I record this episode, I have to hurry up and get my booty and gear and change and drive an hour and a half away so that I can go help my grandma move to Oklahoma because my dad built her a little, a little house on his property. Um, and then both the grandmas are going to, yeah, it's, you don't need to know my family story. Um, but yeah, so we're going to be talking about part two of the Dorothea Puente case. I'm going to be crocheting those shorts. I had just had a ton of coffee, so I feel like I am bouncing off the walls. Um, also something that's been happening lately, so since I'm working so much, um, or not so much, since I'm working so early, I cannot sleep past 6.30. Like, I tried to stay up late last night. I stayed up to like, midnight watching 60 Days In, um, if you haven't started or watched that show, you need to. It's on Netflix. Um, it's probably on other sites, too. I don't know. It's really, really good. Like, it's got me hooked, and I don't watch TV very much, but, um what was it talking about oh yeah I tried to stay up late to watch that and try to trick my body into sleeping in uh it didn't work I woke up with the sun um but I, I mean I'm a morning person I don't mind it it's okay um but like it's seven forty right now in the morning on Saturday and I'm wide awake I'm feeling great yeah let's I don't know I'm going to pause it, take a drink of coffee, you go grab a snack, grab a drink, grab your projects, and we'll, we'll get into this, okay? We'll get into this. Here we go. I'm just going to pick right up where I left off on the other episode, so if you don't remember, go listen to, like, the last five minutes of last podcast, um, and it'll jog your memory, because I don't remember that far back either, but, oh my gosh, and I bought a 64 pack of crayons with a sharpener. I'm sorry if you can hear a dog barking. This apartment complex is full of life. Um, It's the best purchase I've ever purchased. Anyways. Whew. While Dorothea was in prison, she formed a super close bond with a pen pal she had. This pen pal was named Everson Gilma- Gilmouth. Gil? I don't think it's supposed to be Gilmouth. Oops. Ever since wife had just passed away and he was looking for a new romance in prisoners. I don't know why, um, but we don't judge the way someone else grieves, okay? If he wants to find love in the prison, let him, okay? Dorothy was actually the hesitant one in this relationship, though. She wasn't sure if she wanted to get into a relationship with an elderly, elderly man or not. And she was like, I've never met him before. Like, what if he's a creep? Like, baby, you more people, you don't get to decide who's creepy and who's not. Um, that was until he explained to her that he received checks from the government every month. And that they were pretty hefty checks. Then she was right on board. Of course she was. Of course she was. So in 1985, at 56 years old, Dorothea was released from prison and into the world once more. This time with a new psychiatric evaluation. Um, This was now her third evaluation, the first one saying that she was a pathological liar, the second one saying that she had unspecified schizophrenia, and this one saying that she was on the brink of psychosis, having periods of dissociation and needing constant monitoring. Um, She was also not allowed to have a job in the care, like needing, how do you word that? She wasn't allowed to care for people anymore. She did not have the ability to care for someone. Um, So she was released from prison and picked up by 80-year-old Everson in his red pickup truck. Um, In this red pickup truck, he had all of his belongings because he was moving in with Dorothea. On this drive back to 1426 F Street, Everson actually proposed to Dorothea. And yes, the Yoderica family did welcome them both back into their home with open arms. I guess they really, really, really liked Dorothea um personally if i found out that someone was shady um possibly murdered someone i would not i would no sorry not my house i don't care how old you are uh go live on the streets so dorothea was actually put on parole for being or after being released from prison but obviously no one actually came to check up on her as recommended like always um she just she just keeps slipping through the cracks you know Um, She was supposed to have regular visits from a psychiatrist, and that never happened, as well as just a usual officer checkup, um, but those never happened either. So in September of 1985, the letters that Everson was sending to his family stopped coming in. Um, When his family in Oregon stopped receiving these letters, they grew pretty concerned and they ended up calling the Sacramento police. And when the police stopped by, they found that Everson was perfectly healthy and happy, and that he was actually angry with his family for not trusting him and calling the police uh, after this he and er, ugh, wow english hold on i got to rub my eyeball that was my chair not my butt um after this he called his family and informed them that he would be cutting all contact with them to live happily with his wife yeah just just wait So, Dorothea did end up writing to his family for him, informing them on how he was doing and what they were up to, but she insisted that they never call police again because it was against what they wanted in their life. Um, And at this point, the Odoricas had moved out of their home and they rented the top two floors to Dorothea and the bottom level to, like, different people. Like, they were just renting out their home. So, Dorothea had the upstairs and the main floor and then someone else rented out the basement. Um, and of course, against her parole, Dorothea turned the main floor into a boarding house once again. So, in November of 1986, Everson's family received a letter claiming that he and Dorothea were done and that he was packing up all of his things and moving away. He assured them that he would contact them when he was settled in, um, but in all reality, Dorothea wrote this letter. She actually wrote this letter while they were still happily living together in the house um it'll make sense it'll all make sense later um yeah just just bear with me so a bit before christmas the odorica family was on their way back to mexico to visit some family but on their way there they stopped by 1426 f street to say hello to dorothea and everson um when ricardo odorica the father of the family was talking to Everson, he actually noted how tired and run down he seemed. He just seemed like he wasn't doing very well. He's an old man, you know? Old people, they get old. So they went on their way to Mexico. I'm sorry, I'm having congestion problems. (laughs) I don't know. So they went on their way and they had their time in Mexico and on the way back through they realized that Everson wasn't there anymore. Dorothea just explained this away by saying that they had broken up and he moved out. Um, but that, you know, that that was not true. Uh, Dorothea killed him. Yeah. Yeah. It was concluded that she either drugged him slowly, like upping a dose every single day until eventually the drugs in the system caused him to overdose, or she drugged him a bunch in one night and then suffocated him. Um, either way, terrible. Yes but that's just what has been assumed um so ever since dead and dorothea dragged his body into a room that she later names the death room you'll find out why um and he remained in this room for several days while she thought of a way to dispose of him and she knew that she needed to think quickly because you know bodies dead bodies um so there was a tenant living below dorothea And this tenant had a boyfriend named Jesus Meza. And for some reason, she thought that she could ask Jesus for help in disposing of the body. Um, She took him up to her part of the house and explained to him that she worked with elderly people. And that Everson had no family and no one to claim him. And that she needed help disposing of his body. Obviously, as any normal person would, um, Jesus freaked out and didn't want to go near the body. So Dorothy made him swear that he wouldn't tell anybody or call the cops and he promised her that he wouldn't tell a single soul and then they just went about their day as normal. Um, Guys, let's talk for a second. Uh, I, I know I shouldn't have to say this, I know I don't have to say this, but if someone ever asks you to help them dispose of a body under any circumstance, don't do it call the police um there's never a situation where someone cannot find a professional to take a dead person you do not need to help your grandma your sweet upstairs neighbor um anybody you you don't need to help dispose of a body there are other ways to do these things got it so dorothea needed some work done on the top floor of her house and she hired a young man manned a young man named Ismael Flores. While he was at her home, putting wooden flooring in, Dorothea just somehow persuaded him to buy a vehicle off of her. Why did I say vehicle like that? Vehicle off of her. Um, this vehicle, a red truck. Yeah. Ever since red truck. Um, she was able to sell it to him for eight hundred dollars and asked him to build her a storage bin for some old books that she wanted stowed away. The only requirements for the storage bin were just you know, some casual, precise measurements, um, six feet long, two feet deep, and um, two feet wide, just, you know, with a lid too, a lockable lid. Um, what does that sound like? A coffin bro, she asked him to build a coffin. So he literally, you know, he builds it for her and she obviously put Everson's body in it. Um, and then get this. She asks him to help her take this book box to a storage unit since now he has a truck. Like, oh my gosh, thanks for building this book box for me. Um, now help me take it to a storage unit because I don't need these books anymore. Um, yeah, so he says yes. And they're just bouncing along down the road to the storage unit when, out of nowhere, in the middle of the country, um, by the way, Dorothea tells them that they can actually just dump the book box in some random river. Um, she didn't really care about those books anyways; they didn't really matter to her. You know, just casually disposing of some books in a river, like, dude, take it to a thrift store. I don't know. Take it to the library. I don't know. Do, do libraries take old books? um don't go dropping off books in libraries now anyways um yeah so he helps her get the heavy box out of the truck and they dump it in the river and he takes her back home oh my god (laughs) um dorothea never thought of the coffin really or everson's body ever again until new year's day new year's day of 1986 um when it was discovered by a man walking along the riverbank he was looking for a nice spot to fish and he just came across some box um and then he realized that the box smelled really really bad so he called authorities who opened the box and found an older man's decomposing body beyond recognition autopsy results didn't really help either and neither did public releases like asking if anybody knew who this old man in a box was um so ever since body was just sitting in the morgue, waiting to be claimed by someone but the only person who knew Who he was, was not going to come forward, obviously, because she killed him. Um, Oh yeah, and this whole time she's still writing letters to his family, pretending that they are still together and traveling and living this amazing, wonderful life together. Um, So his family thought he was alive and happy. So sick. So sick. So vile. Cannot handle it. Um, And since Everson had never been declared dead, he was still receiving his monthly checks that Dorothea was cashing. I'm getting so angry. (laughs) So at this point... The woman underneath Dorothea had moved out and the whole of 1426 F Street was rented by Dorothea and Dorothea alone. Um, This left her with the entire house to board clients in. Yay. (laughs) And since this house was just so massive, Dorothea was able to give each of her tenants their own individual room instead of the hospital curtain situation that she had in the other house, which was to her benefit because then she could really hide what she was doing to people because they would be in enclosed rooms yeah so she's going about her business still running the board house being abusive to the alcoholic patients even though she was also an alcoholic um and looking like a great person person to the outside world because her attendants always appeared clean well-fed always had new clothes and fresh haircuts full bellies whatever um but not only did her clients families love her for this they also loved her because she knew how to work the u.s benefit system girl she knew how to get them the most money they possibly could receive, but the funny thing is, that extra money would just go straight to her. The number one rule of the boarding house was that the people in the boarding house sign their checks over to her when they entered, and that she would just manage the money and distribute it as needed. She claimed to do this um, as a way of being able to easily take out the chunk that they owed her for living there, and she, would, or she was able to put the rest of it into their hands for them to use. Yeah, whatever. Um, But she was actually scamming them. Yeah, Joanna the scammer? No, Dorothea the scammer. So there comes instances where certain tenants are getting older and um, their health is depleting from diseases and whatnot. And Dorothea really wasn't wanting to care for them anymore. So she would just murder them. Yeah, she just killed them. Um, she would also do this if a tenant or their family started asking too many questions about money and where it was going and why they weren't receiving more than they were. Um, evil, dude. Evil, evil, evil. So in 1987, Betty Palmer joined, also the word Palmer, can't say it. Um, she joined Dorothea's boarding house. Betty was an 80-year-old woman who was full of energy energy. In spunk in life um, and just after a few weeks at 1426 F Street, Betty's enthusiasm about life depleted immensely. Um, she was constantly sick, always in bed, and just a month into her stay she disappeared. When other tenants questioned her whereabouts, Dorothea explained it away by saying that her daughter had come to get her and take her back home, but you and I both know. Dorothea had murdered Betty. Um, Betty's body was taken out or taken to the death room which was just an empty bedroom in the home that bodies would sit in until she found a way to dispose of them yeah so after killing Betty um Dorothea realized that she had to dispose of Betty's body on her own and that's when she came up with the bright idea of burying Betty right in her own front yard yeah Betty's disposal disposal was the start of many bodies to be buried in the yard of 1426 f street dorothea knew that there would poss- be a possibility that one day betty's body would be dug up and possibly identified and possibly linked back to dorothea so she thought of a way to ensure that betty would be unidentifiable if she were ever to be dug up um so she went to the death room in the middle of the night and when all the other t- other tenants were asleep she cut off betty's hands Betty's feet and Betty's head. And she wrapped the rest of the body in cloth and then dug a hole in the front yard and then dragged Betty's body down the stairs into the yard and into the hole. So here's, here's the thing though. The tenants heard the body thumping down the stairs, um, but they didn't think anything of it because why would you think that your carer was carrying a body down the stairs after dismembering it, right? Yeah. So Dorothea filled the hole back up and then had someone come and pour concrete over it the next day, which is something you hear actually quite often in, like, body disposals. Like, they'll bury the body then pour concrete over it or, like, build a house over it. Talk about bad, bad juju. (laughs) Um, you may wonder why people didn't think that her digging a hole in the garden in the middle of the night was suspicious, but it was actually pretty normal for Dorothea to garden at night. Perfect. Convenient. Amazing. Um, you want to know something super, super spooky, though, out of all of this? Betty's head, hands, and feet were never found. So there's that. Just think about that. Yeah. So a few days later, Betty's daughter actually showed up at the boarding house, and Betty obviously was not there. Um, and when Betty's daughter stopped by, Dorothea wasn't actually in the house, so she came back, and the tenants were like, you Betty's daughter came and she was wondering where Betty was. Why did you sit, tell us that Betty's daughter picked her up? when she obviously didn't. Um, and this is when Dorothea claimed to have actually placed Betty in a care home. And that the reason she didn't tell anybody was because she was actually embarrassed of her inability to care for Betty herself. She, she always had stories. I'll give her that. She always had an explanation. So Dorothy's next victim was James Gallop, like a horse. Gallop, who she had met in a bar one night. James was a severe alcoholic who confided in Dorothea, telling her that he had problems looking after himself. It wasn't until he mentioned that he received monthly government checks that she offered him a place to stay in her boarding house. James was all for this. Um, He knew he needed a carer, and he was steam ahead on this plan. Until he realized that he would be signing all of his checks over to Dorothea the AC just turned on. I'm sorry if you can hear it. Um, he didn't want to do this because he felt like he could take care of his own finances, just not himself. So he and Dorothea argued quite a bit during his stay there and he never actually signed his checks over to her, but they were sent to her mailbox. So she was able to take them from there, cash them or whatever, and then give them to him after taking money from him. She always found her way. Um, so James actually had a brain tumor also and He had to have surgery on this brain tumor and he was given medication, which was to be administered safely and correctly by Dorothea, his caretaker. Um, And I feel like I've said obviously so much already, but obviously she did not give him this medication correctly and was giving him way more than needed, which ultimately led to an overdose. Dorothea told the other tenants that James had left in a drunken rage, packed up all of his things and stormed out in the middle of the night. So, Dorothea took James' body up to the death room, dug a hole in the yard, wrapped his body in cloth and plastic, and buried him. Um, And after killing and burying James, Dorothea then realized that she needed, or that he would need routine checkups after his surgery, and that his doctor would be calling about his whereabouts um, after he missed, like, the first appointment back. Um, This is when she called his doctor before he was able to call her. And informed him that James had moved to a different doctor and that he would not be returning. Um, so they shouldn't bother, bother calling. So James was prescribed the sleeping medication named Dalmaine. Dalmaine is a sedative, sedative? One of those drugs that Dorothea would keep in quite a large stockpile. Um, because it was a very strong drug. It was also a drug that would stay in someone's system for quite a long time, which meant that Dorothea could build up doses over time, and eventually the person would become so weak they would die. Um, And since she used quite a bit of this drug, she needed to have quite a bit of it handy, correct? Following? um, Yeah, she would tell every, every single one of her tenants to get a Dalmain prescription. I guess back then you could just be like, yo, doc, write this prescription for me, please. And they would. Um... But she she explained it off as that it was just a good drug to keep around if you couldn't sleep, um, and she also had a prescription herself. So grew an emotional attachment to one of the workers named Judy Moyes. Her next victim was named Vera Miller, um, and Vera was pretty ill when she entered Dorothea's care home. Uh, Vera was sixty-four, and Dorothea realized pretty much immediately that her needs were way too high for what she could handle and instead of you know sending her off to a care home or admitting that she was in over her head dorothea just murdered her of course after she already signed vera's checks over to herself um duh vera lasted one week in the boarding house one week and the next victim after vera was named benjamin fink I know it seems like we just grazed right over Vera, but her stay was just so short that not much really happened. Um, But Benjamin was at the boarding house for at least a year before he was murdered. And during his stay, Dorothea helped him, like others, manage his money and his alcoholism. Benjamin was pretty laid back and easy to care for. And then one night during their communal dinner, he was getting pretty rowdy and angry at dinner. And the other tenants remember him causing a scene. And then Dorothea called him up to his room to tell him off and then go to bed. But when everybody woke up the next morning, he was gone. So, Dorothy explained it off by claiming that he was just too stubborn. And he left after an argument that they had. Um, but he was also murdered. And it was thought that... Whoa, can I speak? Um, or read? It was thought that Benjamin was for sure suffocated. Because unlike the other victims, he wasn't ill or weak leading up to his death. His death was sudden in a spur-of-the-moment decision. So, it's more likely that she suffocated him... But like all the other victims, she put him in the death room, dug a hole in the yard, dragged him down the stairs in the middle of the night, and buried him. Perfect. So, with decaying bodies comes the smell of decaying bodies. And tenants were starting to become alarmed with the strong odor that engulfed the house. Um, It was to the point where they couldn't run their air conditioner because it would just spread the home with the smell of death. Um, and Dorothea explained to the tenants that she had just laid fertilizer out in the garden, and that the smell would be gone in a few days. But the smell was actually coming from the inside of the house. The death room was holding decomposing bodies for days at a time, which allowed the bodily fluids to seep into the carpet and the wood flooring underneath, which was actually the ceiling of the rooms below. Um, and then she would she would clean the carpet over and over again, but it couldn't remove the smell that was coming from underneath. And she knew that. So, Dorothea, you know, instead of, you know, quitting, stopping murdering and just getting a new house, she murdered again. This time, Leona Carpenter had come to the boarding house in 1986 and was 78 years old. She had been with Dorothea for a while and was actually one of Dorothea's favorite tenants. But as she grew older, she grew harder to care for. Um, Leona had over five illnesses including alcoholism, like, on top of all of it, but she was one of Dorothea's favorites because she was the most gullible. She didn't care about the fees, um, that Dorothea was taking out of her monthly checks, and she never complained about the money that she received from her own checks. Um, all she did... She... Can I speak? Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. It's getting to that point where I'm like, um... She all around just did whatever Dorothea wanted her to do. Um, and after two years at the home, she became very weak and ill. And Dorothea decided that murdering her was the only answer. Answer? Answer. Answer. So at this point, the yard was holding so many bodies that it was becoming full. She had already used the entirety of the front yard. She moved on to the side yard and now she was into the backyard. Um, and she ordered a shed to be put over a spot where some of the bodies were buried too. So just just think about that. So the next client, or whatever you want to call these people, um, was Alberto Montoya, or Bert, which is what I'll be calling him. So he was 51, he had paranoid schizophrenia, as well as an intellectual disability, and he also suffered with alcoholism. Um, He didn't require any medical or physical care, he just needed someone to look after him and make sure that he was staying safe. Bert was very kind-hearted. Um, He was very innocent, and he was actually homeless before coming to the boarding house. While he was homeless, he would spend a few nights a week at a shelter where he, Judy Moyes, was known for helping people um, like Bert, who had learning disabilities and mental illnesses. Uh, She became friends with Bert and did everything she could to find him a place to live, which is how she found Dorothea's home. When they toured the home, both Judy and Bert took a liking to Dorothea, who would or who told them that she was in her 70s, lie, and told them that her first language was also Spanish, lie. After dropping Bert off, Judy came back to visit a while later and was so happy when she saw that Bert had a new haircut, new clothes, and seemed to be in a really great mood. Dorothy would often ask Bert to do things around the house for her as he was the most able-bodied and young and it gave him a sense of purpose around the home anyways. So, as always... Dorothea had put herself down on Bert's checks as his cousin and claimed that his mental disability was much worse than it really was so that he couldn't handle his own money. Both Bert and Judy didn't realize this, so things continued on as normal. That was until another tenant went missing. Dorothy Miller was 64 when she was murdered by Dorothea. I know, a a lot of Doros. Doros, Anyways, uh dorothea had told everybody that dorothy had been arrested so she was kicked out of the house and told not to return it is thought that dorothy was murdered due to her continuous suspicion on where her money was going because she was one of the only tenants that never received a single penny of her go- government checks this isn't because dorothea put dorothy's checks in her own name but because she had put it in the name of ricardo Odriga, the landlord uh she did this because a she needed to pay rent, and B, because she if she had all of these checks in her name, that looks super suspicious, right? So she would put some in Ricardo's name to pay rent and ease government suspicions. In 1988, Judy suddenly loses contact with Bert, so she calls Dorothea, who had this elaborate story about how his tuberculosis was getting out of control, so she sent him off to Mexico to see her brother who was a doctor, and that he was getting treatment there. Um, But that he'd be back at the boarding house very soon, and she would have Judy, or she would have Bert contact Judy. Judy believed Dorothea until a few more weeks had passed, and she still couldn't get in touch with Bert. So once again, she contacts Dorothea, who tells her that, and then tells her that if she doesn't get contact from Bert in a couple days, she's calling the police. So a few days later, Judy gets a phone call from bert's uncle air quotes bert's uncle um bert's uncle told judy that he was from utah and that he had came and picked up bert and brought him back home to live with him and his family so that he didn't have to be around a bunch of people he didn't know judy is rightfully so suspicious and asks if she can talk to bert but is told that he's still way too ill to get to the phone and that he will call her when he's able to thankfully judy is a hard-headed woman And she hangs up the phone and calls Dorothea right back, er, demanding an explanation. Dorothea explained that one day, while she was out, Bert's uncle came and packed up all of his things and took Bert with him, leaving a mere note behind for Dorothea to read and know the situation. Judy was still not satisfied with that story, and she called the police and asked them to do a welfare check on the tenants at the boarding house. Not only were they to do a welfare check, but they were also supposed to find and speak to John Sharp. John Sharp was another tenant at the boarding house. Um, He was an alcoholic, but he was still able to be aware of what was going on around him. And Judy thought if anything fishy was happening in the home, he'd be able to to detect it. The police got to the home and looked around, and there was no sign of Bert or his belongings. And John had the exact same story as Dorothea. So, as the police found no obvious signs of anything suspicious going on, they had no means to further investigate, and they decided to leave. As they were about to exit the front yard, John Sharp approached them and slipped them a note. This note told the officers to meet him in a certain location, away from the home, because he had something really important to tell them. Of course, the officers did, as requested, and John confessed to the officers that Dorothea actually went around and made sure that all of the tenants had the same story about where Bert went. John said that he was concerned because not only had she asked him asked them to all lie, but lately Dorothea had been yelling at Bert quite a bit, which had never happened before. John even told the officers that a few weeks before Bert vanished, he had barricaded himself in his room to call the post office and tell them that Dorothea was stealing his government checks, but the person on the other end. Couldn't hear him due to the fact that Dorothea was screaming so loudly at Bert. Um, I lost my spot. John also recalled a time when Bert was cari- carried inside from the bar because he thought he had been drugged after just an hour of being there. Remember Delmaine, That drug from earlier? Yeah, it doesn't mesh well with alcohol. And with Bert being an alcoholic, he obviously can handle his alcohol pretty well. So a bar or an hour at the bar wouldn't cause this much you know? Um, Dorothea probably saw Bert starting to act out quote unquote Um and wanted to start dosing him with Dalmain to slowly kill him. That wasn't all John told the officers though. He also explained to them that he had the bedroom underneath the stairs. Like Harry Styles Harry Harry Styles <laughs> Harry Potter style, but bigger. I'm assuming. Um, So he heard everything that went on in there. Um, He explained that oftentimes he was awoken in the middle of the night to banging noises on the stairs, as if a body were being dragged down the stairs. Or sometimes he would get up in the morning and a new hole was dug in the yard. With all of this taken into account, the officers knew that something very scary was going on, so they called the homicide team. And that's where I'm going to leave you guys. <laughs> Jenna, I know you're screaming at me. I'm sorry, okay? This episode's already like 35 minutes long. I don't know what you want me to do. I'm just kidding. I think it's like 32 minutes long. Um, yeah, so that's that. Um. God bless John Sharp. And you'll see why. In next week's episode... <laughs> Um, yeah. Like I say, every single time, I don't know how to end these episodes. Because I'm like, yep, these people were brutally murdered. Okay, bye. Love you guys. (laughs) Um, yeah. I'm gonna go help my grandma move. Okay. (laughs) I don't know what to say. Um, next weekend, next Saturday is my birthday. Turning 23... (laughs) hee hee um i don't know what i'm gonna do for my birthday because madeline is gonna be at a wedding um lauren my other friend that lives here is also going to be at a wedding um matthew probably has to work until like eight o'clock so i guess i'll just sit at home all day and research sounds like a sounds like a typical Saturday um but yes so I'll see you guys later you guys rock thank you so much for waiting a week for this next episode to come out or two weeks um yeah lock your doors don't talk to creepy men stay safe love you